Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 2 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. In this season, we want to focus on practical discussions about unity within the Stone Campbell movement and beyond. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one so that the world may know. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Ground Unity Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. I'm Tina Bruner, one of the co-hosts, and this week we are excited to have with us uh, Ben Brewster. Kevin Witham is on the road, and so we uh, asked Ben to join us as a co-host, and I have to say I'm super excited because after doing all those episodes on Lessons Learned from Mars Hill, I really have missed all of them. So it's good to be back on with him. The purpose of our podcast is to have dialogue and discussions with people across the streams of the Stone Campbell Restoration Movement. We're glad that you joined us today for this conversation, which is the first in our new series on spiritual formation. So Ben, how are things going for you? What's been going on since Lessons Learned from Mars Hill? How hot is it where you are? Oh, it's it's hot in Louisiana. It's summertime, and, and but Tina, it's so great to be here with you. And uh, I, I'm sorry that Kevin's not here because you and Kevin make a terrific team. You guys are doing a great, great job, and so uh, it, it's good to be here and to to reconnect because that that really was good times. The the panel discussions we had. Yeah, it's great that we still periodically get texts from Alicia uh, Crumpton with book recommendations. <laughs> so um, she's still adding to our book list for us. So today we're excited to have two guests with us, Jeannie Shaw, who served in the ministry and with Hope Worldwide over 47 years in full-time ministry. She received her MA in Christian Spirituality and Formation and is currently pursuing her doctorate in Spiritual Formation and Discipleship at Nazarene Theological Seminary. Her deepest joy comes from helping others fall more deeply in love with God. She teaches worldwide and just published her 17th book. Oh my what now? Yeah, isn't that something? Wow. Uh, the latest one is called What Now? God, Finding God in Transitions. Jeannie also, also recently published The View from Paul's Window, Paul's Teaching on Women. Jeannie is richly blessed with her four adult children and eight grandchildren. Jeannie, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks. It's great to be with you. And I love this whole podcast and just really seeking to bring greater unity. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And then we also have Rhonda Lowry. Uh, It's interesting. I was telling her before we started that uh, in her bio, it starts with she served as a sixth grade teacher. And then it goes into that she was faculty at Fuller Theological Seminary, faculty at Pepperdine University, as well as the director of development for the Willamette University School of Law in Salem, Oregon. And I think probably of all of those things that she's done, I would wonder if sixth grade teacher was the most challenging of all of those Things. I don't think I would like to be with sixth graders all day. 
sixth graders are fabulous, Tina. You would love them and they would love you. But uh, well, uh, money from attorneys is not easy. <laughs> well, I, maybe I would rather be with sixth graders. <laughs> uh, Rhonda also received her bachelor's degree from Pepperdine and her master's in divinity from Fuller Theological Seminary in Christian Formation and Discipleship. Rhonda served as a senior fellow for the Institute of Christian Spirituality and assistant professor of spiritual formation at Lipscomb University. She's a well-known speaker and serves on several boards. Her husband, Randy, served as the president of Lipscomb University in Nashville from 2005 to 2021. They're both on sabbatical this year and enjoying their five grandchildren, and they have three grown children. Rhonda, welcome. And you're in Nashville right now, right? I am. It's beautiful and actually in Franklin, Tennessee, but... We are thrilled to be here, and I am very honored to be at this table with all of you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And Jeannie, where are you located? Where where are you calling in today from? Yes, thanks. I moved uh, a year, almost a year ago to date, uh, from Boston to, or the Boston suburbs to Glastonbury, Connecticut, right outside of Hartford. So we've got a day in the high 60s today, so it's quite pleasant. Yeah, well, I think Ben and I would trade you uh, your 60 degree weather right about now. Ben, why don't you get us started on this conversation? Well, well let's get into it. We're, we're talking about laying the foundation and spiritual formation, and both of you have an immense amount of experience uh, in, in this. And so um, why don't we just start off by asking a, a little bit about if, if you would both be willing to tell us about your spiritual journey how do you become interested in spiritual formation and, and, and spiritual discipline? So um, let's go in alphabetical order. Jeannie, you want to start? Oh, sure. Well, um, I grew up in Gainesville, Florida, in a small church called 14th Street uh, Church of Christ. And I was very blessed that my parents uh, were Christians. Uh, they were the real deal. So I became a Christian as a young teen and I, I, you know, I, I loved God very much. I was after a couple years of some rebellion, but um, uh, 14th Street later became the Crossroads Church of Christ, and my dad was an elder there. You know, I saw something pretty amazing during that time. I was now into my high school years, and I saw so many people. Uh, this was in the uh, early 70s. Uh, so many students becoming Christians. And it just, um, I don't know, it awakened my desire for for more. Um, there were some really precious times. I was thinking this morning of just times as a young student, we'd sit around and start songs spontaneously, men and women, and share scriptures. And so that was kind of deep in there. But um, I felt uh, still like I was raised in a very kind of rules-oriented, more flat, uh, dimensional way of viewing God more as a perfectionist keeper and sort of uh, ready to throw me off the cliff (laughs) when I sin. And, you know, so it was, uh, I don't know, it was strenuous in many ways, more than joyful. And... um, then we went, uh, I met my husband through, uh, I was dating a new Christian from that campus ministry. And actually, uh, we would invite him to go on dates with us. He he was converted. Um, my boyfriend asked him to church and we went on 
he, he went on dates with us because his girlfriend lived out of state. And so eventually, um, then we, uh, you know, we became great friends. We both broke up and ended up with each other. But uh, my husband, Wyndham, who uh, passed away a couple years ago, um, he uh, was two years ahead of me in school, went into the ministry. And uh, so we, we went into campus ministry at NC State University with the Brooks Avenue Church of Christ and you know, saw some really great things happen there. It was exciting. I mean, I just saw God doing amazing things. There were oh, over 100 students baptized that year. Um, we moved to Boston in 87, desiring to, I don't know, we didn't really, weren't really looking to move, but knowing that there was a call for mission work around the world and thought, okay, let's try to get united in doing that. But uh, during that time, there were a lot of great things. I mean, so many wonderful things I saw happen. But also, I feel like during that time, too, we went through a, a big crisis, as you know, in the late uh, 90s and early 2000s in the in International Church of Christ. And I felt like there was a lot of heart that I was needing, more heart more relationship with God. I felt like others were needing that. And I'd never heard of spiritual formation. Honestly, it wasn't until about six or seven years ago when I even heard of spiritual formation. You know, we were well familiar with discipleship, uh, but discipleship had become more of a program, I feel. Uh, in many ways, it was wonderful. And I think missing from a lot of the the churches we had been part of. And so I loved the focus on discipleship, except for when it left the heart uh, of Jesus. I think uh, just seeing the, the turmoil that had been there and then seeing us lose, honestly, a generation of uh, men and women who are probably now in their 30s to 40s, um, said something is something is needed more something is missing in the heart and um, something's not being spiritually formed uh, in the way I, I think it could be. So I don't know, along that time too, my husband got really, really sick with a disease called multiple system atrophy. And uh, it presents a lot like ALS. It's a horrible disease. Uh, you know, um, I was caregiving him during those years and eventually it takes your ability to speak and your ability to breathe. But I think um, during those times, I kind of felt like I found the end of me <laughs> and the, in a good way and uh, experiencing Christ more than I felt like I ever had and filling that fullness. And so I wanted to really explore uh, spiritual formation just to a lot was curiosity. What can I learn from this? I have a deep desire to learn. I'm very curious. And, you know, I just wanted to go deeper. I wanted more of God. And I wanted to share that with others. So that's kind of what what brought me there, really. Um, that was, uh, so I thought, this is crazy. I'm in my 60s. I'm starting master's program. Haven't been to school in 40-something years. And, uh, you know, I loved it. Oh, I loved it. And so I decided to go ahead and uh, after finishing my master's there to pursue my doctorate, just to keep on learning and trying to share 
the things I'm learning uh, about hopefully taking it deeper with God and building more deliberately from the heart, from the inside out. Powerful testimony. Thank you for for sharing. And I love the emphasis on continuing to learn. And uh, Rhonda, what about you? Well, I have a little bit different story because I did not grow up in Churches of Christ at all. I started playing the piano and the organ in the Baptist church when I was about 12 years old and played every Sunday. And Monday night was children's choir. Tuesday night was youth choir. Wednesday night was adult choir practice. Um, Saturday, we worked on offertories and preludes and postludes. And so my life was really playing the piano. Um the last few years of high school, the church hired a minister to come in and the minister um, asked that those that were leading worship, the instrumentalist and the music minister, meet for prayer for an hour before worship. And I watched a church grow exponentially and there was no other, I mean, he, he was a good pastor and he was a good preacher, but there was no other way to explain what was going on other than what, as a young teenager, I was experiencing in that prayer service. And I really did, I felt like I learned to pray um, and open up ourselves to God there before anything else happened. Um, a guy I was dating, they were, I was watching them. I grew up in Southern California and I watched them build Pepperdine while I was in high school. And a guy I had dated a little bit said, why don't you, you, you don't want to go to Kansas and study church instrumental music. He said, why don't you just come go to Pepperdine? Let's open up this campus together. So, you know, I went over and I applied and they gave me a piano scholarship and it was a Christian school. And I, you know, I was well on my way Malibu, Kansas. I think I'll go to Malibu. <laughs> so <laughs> I took off. And I got over there and I said, okay, where's this choir you want me to play for? And they said, oh, no, we don't do that. That's a sin. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm here to major in church instrumental music. What are you talking about? And they said, oh, no, no, no. You know. And so it really began um, a journey for me of, of looking for God, you know, of what are you doing? You know, what, where am I and why am I here? And um, because I was, you know, I, I was pretty committed even as an 18 year old kid. Um, but I, um, I found something at Pepperdine that was deeper and it was much more of a cognitive intellectual challenge in my faith than the heartfelt faith that I'd found in the Baptist church. And it answered, I, you know, my dad was a quality control engineer. So there was a part of me that was really looking for something deeper and uh, stable. And, and I found it at Pepperdine in lots of ways. But after a while, as you can imagine, we took off so Randy could go to law school in Minnesota. And the church was very, very small. And um, we were starting a family. And as young mother, you know, you get stagnant. I ended up in Bible study fellowship after a few years, and that met a real need for me. Um, I knew there was more to it than what I was getting at church, and I needed to learn how to study scripture in a deeper way. 
In the meantime, Pepperdine calls Randy and says, what you're doing in dispute resolution belongs in a Christian law school. You need to come back to Pepperdine and forget this sojourn in Oregon at Willamette and you need to come home. I was kicking and screaming, saying, absolutely not. I'm not going to raise my children in the lands of fruits and nuts down there. I'm just, I know what that <laughs> is. I'm not doing it. And um, it, it was really my first epiphany where God, um, I can tell you distinctly where I was in Salem, Oregon, where God said, uh, and I was praying, I was saying, God, you know, you've got to tell Randy and you've got to help him understand that you really don't intend for us. <laughs> Yes, you know, and uh, he said, um, who do you think's helping you raise these kids in Oregon? And I stopped for a minute and uh, he said, um, we have worked. Don't you think I'm bigger than California? That was the second thought. And it wasn't a voice. It wasn't audible, but it was just a complete, it was a sense of who do you think's helping you raise these kids in Oregon? Don't you think I'm bigger than Southern California? We have work to do. Well, you couldn't, you know, I mean, the, the borders could not have been, you know, I was out of there. <laughs> I, was, I was going to Southern California. I wanted to know what this was. So sure enough, um, we started. The interesting thing was I found out within about two weeks that I was pregnant with our third child. Um, and it was kind of like he just laughed and said, you think you got two kids? Let's do it with three. Come on, let me show you who I am. <laughs> so we went to Southern California and I stayed home and raised three kids for until she started school. The day, um, you know, and I'm still wondering all these five, six years of, okay, you know, here I am. What are we doing here? And um, didn't really want to go back to fundraising right then. Um, I took my youngest daughter to first grade and I came home and there was a woman sitting there on a, a little bridge that I had to go across a gully in our neighborhood to get to the school. And I, I started back home after dropping Melinda off and this woman um, was crying and I said, can I help? And she said, I've just taken my first child to school and my life is over. And, you know, and I, I looked at her and I said, lady, this is the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> I've just taken my youngest. I'm free. I can hardly wait. I said, go get your purse. Let's go to Starbucks. And I'll go get mine. And I'll meet you at the car. So I went home. Uh, on the front door was an eight and a half by 11 yellow sheet of paper. And it said... Are you a woman that has just taken her last child to school? Come to Fuller Seminary and study the Gospels on Monday night from 6 to 10. Well, before I went back to the crying woman, I went to the phone, picked it up and said, what does it cost? How do I enroll? <laughs> and um, had no, still no idea. I didn't connect the dots until later, but um clearly a calling. I, I said to Randy, um, what would you think if I went to seminary? And he said, oh, he said, I don't care if you're going back to school, but the church is not ready. I mean, you got to figure this out. I mean, this is late. This is mid eighties. Um, 
the church is not ready for you to go to seminary. <laughs> he said, let's, let's talk. <laughs> and so I called one of my elders and I said, would you have breakfast with us um, Saturday morning? And he said, sure. And um, so we had breakfast and I told Bill and Bill said, um, you know, all the right things, you know, pray about it, take a slow, listen to Randy. We walked out of the deli that morning. His wife, who was from Maine, she was frozen most of the year. She was one of 16 kids, so she didn't have much time to talk. She was extremely introverted. She walked up to me, and she didn't even look at me. She just walked up to the side of me, and she said, um, Rhonda, I need you to go to seminary. And I said, um, okay. She said, no. Uh, she said, I really do. She said, I've got a daughter that has no role models for women that are taking scripture seriously like you are talking about. And I really need you to go. She said, if you will go, I will come Monday nights while Randy teaches at Pepperdine and while you go to class and I will feed your kids and I will bathe them and put them to bed and clean your house up for you so that you can study. But I, I really need you to go. Lorette was the hero of that story. And that's mm. the message there is I, I did get to preach her funeral before I actually got out. But it, when I got to Greek, it was Lorette's voice in my ear saying, I need you to go. Yeah. Um, and it was very, very forming for me, very spiritually forming of when I, when I got to Pentateuch and I really looked at, at callings, I had every element of the call of Moses and Jeremiah uh, Abraham. I mean, every single step of the way I could relate to a call to go to seminary. Um, and Lorette had been a part of that story. So I did. I got to seminary and I'm, you know, here I am, a mother of three kids. Um, I'm not going to preach. Didn't really even want to preach. I mean, I really wanted to study scripture, but what am I going to do? I mean, there weren't even women teaching in most of our schools at that point. There had been, it wasn't going to be a big deal, but what am I going to do? And, um, and I picked up Richard Foster's book, Celebration of Discipline, you know, kind of the Bible, if you will, of this movement. And, um, and then I took my first class and I met, you know, a soul partner, if you will, and Dr. Julie Gorman, um, and I just, I knew I was home. <laughs> and all of a sudden the dots connected and I went, oh, this is the work we have to do. This is what you're talking about. It took me a while to get through, but I finally did. And uh, kind of the rest is history. But it, um, it's been a wonderful place for, for a woman in Churches of Christ. Uh, I think as a woman, I've been able to bridge some gaps with elements of this movement that are kind of harder for men, if you will. But I could kind of stay below the radar, if you will, on this women's issue in spiritual formation. People are so hungry to get to know God. They don't care whether you're a horse or a woman or white male. <laughs> Just come tell me, you know, uh, tell me how to get to know God. So that's what we're trying to do. That's great. I'm so glad that um, whether or not the 
church or the world was ready for either of you ladies to be engaged in this work that that God knew that it was it was for you all to step into that and and continue to be role models for not just women but especially women. So thanks for that. Many of our listeners may not understand, you know, Jeannie was mentioning that um, until six or seven years ago, the term spiritual formation, I've had someone uh, say they're, they have a spiritual director and other people in the church are like, oh my gosh, is it like a witch? Is it like a, you know, they just don't have any concept. So for our listeners who are new to this concept, will you share what what does spiritual direction mean? And and Jeannie said something about discipleship versus spiritual formation or being spiritually formed. Maybe even talk a little bit about what is the difference in people saying, I don't need spiritual formation. I'm, I'm being discipled in this way. So what are some of the nuances of that? And what are some of the terms that are used in spiritual formation that we might introduce to our listeners so that they have a better understanding? You know, I've noticed that spiritual disciplines and spirituality, spiritual formation, it's kind of um, becoming popular now. And, um, you know, people want to know more about spiritual disciplines. And I think that's great and it's helpful, but I, I think there's more to it than that. It, it can often be... Um, you're just adding a new old method of adding something. I think that um, I've been raised, I think many in my, in our tradition have been raised to um, in formulas and things to add. And so in many ways it can be seen like, oh, I'm going to add these spiritual disciplines to get closer to God. I'm going to add, add these things. And, uh, do this to make my relationship to God stronger. And there's some truth in that. But I think before uh, we can add to our faith, there's got to be some consideration of what we're adding to. You know, how do we view God? Is he a perfectionist waiting for my mess ups, a technical miser? You're watching for me to mess up. And um, formation while it's personal, it's also communal in practice. And I think that um, it takes other people, it takes community to be formed. Um, the very nature of the triune God shows that we're relational have to be formed. But I think spiritual formation is, there's a lot of similarities to discipleship, except for, um, Again, discipleship can be a program. It can be something to add. It can be more human-oriented than God working in us from inside the spirit working and allowing space for God. That's some of how I've come to view spiritual formation differently is it's allowing space in my life, in another's life, for God to move, for God to work. Like you were saying, you know, Hearing God, uh, yes, not in an audible voice that's, you know, coming out from heaven, but where he's really communicating and it's personal and it's experiencing God. And I think this is what is lacking often today is an experiencing of God rather than just an, um, 
facts about God that we hold to and a doctrine of truth that we hold to. There's got to be more than that. That's important, but there's got to be the experiencing of God. And um, again, some sometimes discipling with other, if you want to call it that, with other people is just so valuable. I have deep, deep-rooted relationships where we have prayed together, cried together, just shared our hearts together. Those are beautiful. They're wonderful. And that is part of spiritual formation. But, um, you know, God, God works in, in our lives in so many different ways. And part of the thing I have also come to appreciate is the, the deserts, the times when I feel like he doesn't show up. And I've learned so much from um, some of the desert fathers and mothers and the earlier practitioners, so to speak, of Christian spirituality that have taught me so much in those arenas as well. I could share some of those things, but I'll, I'll wait. Jeannie, I think you've made a really good point um, in the fact that it, it's, it's really making space for God. Um, and, and seeing God work in our lives. Roberta Hestinus and Julie Gorman um, really helped me see that it, it really is misnamed in a lot of ways because it is not formation. We are not forming ourselves into a certain formula or a certain form uh, that we do to please God. That what we're really talking about is spiritual transformation right constantly of our lives uh, that we are transforming our lives to be more like Jesus and so what this movement is all about is really an awareness of how adults and children but how we as human beings transform our lives it really comes out of um, three academic disciplines that I think finally started talking to each other. The field of psychology emerged enough that they could finally begin to talk to the theologians. And the theologians and the psychologists went back and started beginning to talk to contemplatives, which they never had talked to before. And so this really is partially an old religious education, what we used to call religious education degree or a religious education track, um, a way of thinking of how are we educated, which is really nothing more than a cognitive experience. Um, and it left out the three other domains that Bloom taught us in the field of psychology of what it means to be a human being. As human beings, there are four domains that all have to be touched for transformation to take place. And there are four questions that as teachers and as educators and as, as people looking to transform lives, whether it is in school, whether it is spiritually, in whatever we're trying to do, we have to answer those. And it's, what do I need them to know? There's a body of information that we need to know. What do I need them to do as a result of my lesson or my experience? What is God wanting me to do? What does he want me to feel? 
this is kind of a new idea in our tribe because we haven't really cared about how people felt. I got a pew from my grandmother's church. And even though she was Baptist and they've got a little bit more feeling than churches of Christ in their theology, it was still the most uncomfortable thing in the world. No wonder I squirmed as a kid, (laughs) but um, there is a man. I mean, God made our emotions every bit as much as he made our brains. So, and he made it so we would seek him and we would look for him and we would find him through our emotions. And that that's gotta be a part of this. But then that, that last domain that we really have ignored so much is, is that existential domain of what am I supposed to be and, and a vision of who, who God is created me to be and not just what I do. Um, and I think we see that if you go back to Exodus or excuse me, go back to Genesis and you look at how we were created we were created out of relationship because he created us out of Trinity. Let us create humankind in our image. If you listen to those plural pronouns in the image of God, he created them. So he created us out of relationship into relationship for the purpose of reflecting Trinity. Um, and that just tells me a lot about how we're created, um, that all of this has to be a part of it. But then you also look at what happened in the fall and look at where we are right now. If you think about it for just a minute, we've been told for years that Eve um, was vulnerable and she was weak and she was, you know, um, all those things. And so Satan went to her because he knew she'd kind of give in because she's this weak, little, wimpy, feeling kind of person. That's not what happened at all if you read scripture. Satan went to her and said, do you want to be God? Do you want to know the difference between evil and good? And she said, yes, I want to be God. He said, Just give me the apple. And she took it and she ate it. And then she went to her husband And she said, Adam, sweet darling, I've eaten of the apple. Would you eat with me? Now, who was the vulnerable one? Who was the emotive one? Who was the feeling one there? And yet, as fallen people, what's happened in our male-dominated state for all these years is the voice of emotion and existentialism has been silenced. And it has pretty much in our tribe been a cognitive behavioral experience because what God did, he did not curse the people, but he went back and he said, Adam, you want to be emotive? You want to be this kind of being person out there that gives into the wife without paying attention to what I tell you? I'm going to make you work harder than you've ever worked in your life. You're going to do it and you're going to know. And, and he went to Eve and he says, you want to be God? <laughs> you know, I'm going to make you want your husband like you've never wanted him before. And, and that's who we are as fallen human beings. This side of the cross, we, that's not who God wants us to be because all of that is in all of us, both male and female, as created creatures that reflect Trinity. 
And so what spiritual formation has done, instead of it just being a cognitive, you know, so, so much of Sunday school was memorize this, do that, and then do this, behave. And there was, there was very little feeling, very little vision of what it meant to be a child of God. Um, and that's really the difference, I think, of spiritual formation and why the newness is that finally these disciplines have started talking to each other. And it's helped us to see a broader view of what God might be doing in the world. Um, again, though, I, th I mean, what I really want to emphasize in this part is that it's not formation where we're teaching people this is what you do and this is how you do it and this is what you you learn this and you get this degree. No, 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 no. It's just opening yourself up in all of what it means to be a human being and engaging all of who you are to see what God's doing and why he created you and what he wants to do with you and be with you and love you. <laughs> Wow, th this is some great stuff, and this is one of those podcasts where people are going to have to go back and, and listen to it again mm -hmm. to absorb everything that both of you have shared. But one of the things you both mentioned was uh, tying in relationships uh, with the Godhead, and, and we talk about that at Common Grounds Unity, that our unity is based on uh, on the unity of the Godhead. And so in thinking about relationships, you both mentioned people in the past who have been influential in uh, your interest and study of this spiritual transformation, who who's your go-to today? Who at present is is really influential in your life? Someone that you really respect in this field? Um, I think for me, there there's several. Um, Henry Nowen is one who has helped me a lot. Um, Actually, I just finished a course on Henry Nouwen. Um, the the three book, uh, three books: spiritual direction, spiritual formation, and spiritual discernment. He practiced downward mobility. He, you know, he had so much going for him. He was a professor at Harvard. He had, you know, classes just kind of desiring to hear him. There was a lot going on in him. Of course, he was also a priest, but. He uh, left what he did to become a caretaker at Larsh Community for um, a very handicapped young man named Adam. In that uh, kind of emptying of himself, he really, um, he just, he lived his life for the sake of other people and kind of lost that ego. Um, I mean, he describes the battle with it, but... Um, that was very, very uh, moving for me, seeing his life. Of course, um, Dallas Willard and Richard Foster um, are, are men who have really helped me a lot, as is Ruth Haley Barton. I have loved uh, some, of, some of her work and writing. It's really helped me tremendously. I would say those, um, uh, uh, some of the earlier writers, um, Julian of Norwich really uh, moved me because I don't, I can't explain all that she saw or wrote or taught, but um, she had a deep experience with God. And as you mentioned, um, we're good at thinking and 
rational thought and we're good at doing, but being is harder, uh, experiencing and feeling. And uh, it's a, you know, you can't forego the others, but I, like you mentioned, our tribe has been very thirsty uh, for, for these. And I think that's why we're finding a hunger for it because there is a thirst for just experiencing God for relational experience with him. And so I, I think these are, these are some people that have particularly helped me. Um, I have a, 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 yeah, also um, James Brian Smith, the, the good and beautiful God, the good and beautiful community, uh, good and beautiful life. Uh, he's been very helpful. And of course, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, so much richness there. Um, his book on community, uh, I'll have to think a minute what it's called, but it's on community is really, really powerful. Those are a few. I would say amen to everything that Jeannie has said. I mean, those are all really good people. Um, in our own tribe, um, Gary Holloway and Jackie Halstead, Randy Harris and I worked together um, in a growing deeper training program for years. And I would recommend any of the three of those. I know them well, and they, they can challenge anyone in this field with different giftednesses and different um, kind of perspectives, but it's, that's very good, you know, uh, I think. Um, Randy has, has really been a soul partner in lots of ways. And he's, um, he's just a good conversationalist about all of this. I've probably learned as much in nature and sitting in a cow pasture, uh, as I have list reading any book, this is not rocket science. This is not about reading it and getting it right. This is about sitting still and listening. And it's about opening yourself up um, and paying attention. It's, it's really mindfulness of what God is doing in the world. It's really more about getting the questions right than having the answers. And, uh, you know, uh, I could say, you know, my mother and my grandmother, but equally um, to any professor I had in seminary uh, would be my students who come at me with new questions and make me stop and have to think because the answer of this 60 plus year old woman in, um, doesn't always work <laughs> with this generation. And they're, you know, they, they really do want to know what's real. And I can talk to them about all bounds had to say about prayer. And I can tell them all of, you know, what Foster said and yada, and, you know, we can go to scripture and we can look at what Paul talked to, about in second Timothy two, one with those four different kinds of I, I can do all that. That's no big deal. It's when my students look at me and say, yeah, but what did he do for you this week? And where have you experienced God in prayer this week? And what did he say to you? Um, that's spiritually transforming. And, and my students have got real questions. 
and they've got good questions. And God is at work in this generation in an amazing way. So I, I would clearly say my students as much as anybody I've ever read. Well, I tell you, I, I was really looking forward to this series. And while I'm so encouraged, I'm also like, oh, shoot. So it's not about having the the questions right. Like it's having the questions right, not the answers. I'm like writing down all the things that you're saying and whatever. And then, you know, you really challenge the like heart of being and those things are important. And I appreciate the um, sensitivity that people are thirsty for something more. But just as you all are sharing, I'm just thinking that we as believers need these tools and these conversations so that we can be challenged to move in this direction so that we can be fully formed and transformed uh, the way that that God intends. So I'm really glad that you guys are going to be with us next week. And we are going to have Ben Brewster back with us as well. Uh, we're going to have one more week without Kevin. So hopefully wherever he is today, he is uh, safe and sound and missing us like I'm missing him. Uh, thank you all so much um, for being with us. And in the meantime, for our listeners, try to think on the things that, that were shared today and have a conversation with someone who maybe isn't specifically part of your congregation or your stream of the movement, somebody that, that might think differently than you so that we can have these rich conversations and demonstrate unity through relationships. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you can't find a gathering in your area, we can help you start one. It's not difficult or time-consuming, and we'll help you out along the way. It really does simply start with a cup of coffee. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee. <laughs>